4: Robert, Reich, Robert Reich's Substack article, robertreich.substack.com is the website for it, and uh, one that I highly recommend. His writings are really worth following. He was the uh, labor secretary under Bill Clinton, you'll recall. The article is titled The Democrat's Disease. It's almost like he just read uh, my book, The Hidden History of uh, Neoliberalism, <laughs> you know, how Reaganism got in America because uh, what he's saying here is is like right out of my book although the book has not yet been published it won't be out for a, a month or two uh, or three i think it comes out uh, the first week of september but he lays it out and, and which is and, and with surprising candor for somebody who worked in the clinton administration as a cabinet secretary at, you know at the, at the most senior level of a democratic administration so i just wanted to share with this he's he's asking first of all the question or he's actually telling he's answering the question why is it that the democrats might be in trouble in the elections why is it that the democrats haven't been just sweeping elections for decades after all the democrats are the party of working people and working people are the majority of the voters what happened and this isn't just white working people this uh, you know he he de-racializes the whole issue because this is right across the board and he comes right out and he says, you know, Bill Clinton used his political capital to pass NAFTA and, the, and get China into the WTO, which, quote, undermined the wages and economic security of manufacturing workers across America, hollowing out vast swaths of the Rust Belt. Clinton also deregulated Wall Street. Obama bailed out the biggest banks and banksters but did nothing for homeowners. Both Clinton and I'm quoting here from the former Secretary of Labor in the Clinton administration, Robert Reich, Both Clinton and Obama stood by as corporations hammered trade unions, the backbone of the working class. They failed to reform labor laws to allow workers to form unions with a simple up or down majority vote, or even impose meaningful penalties on companies that violate labor practices. At the same time, Clinton and Obama allowed antitrust enforcement to ossify, leading to massive corporate consolidation. And he goes on to say, quote, both Clinton and Obama depended on big money from corporations and the wealthy. Both turned their backs on campaign finance reform. And then this amazing statistic, he says, by the 2016 election, I thought this was 2020, it's the 2016 election, the richest one hundredth of one percent of Americans, that's .001 percent, one hundredth of one percent, 24,900 extraordinarily wealthy people accounted for a record-breaking 40 percent of all campaign contributions. 3.4 3.4 billion dollars in donations from the richest 1 100th of 1 percent the labor unions this is 3.4 billion from the wealthy people The labor unions put up 213 million dollars bupkis and then he goes on to call out some of the democrats he says joe manchin and kirsten cinema have blocked measures that would have lowered the cost of child care would have lowered the cost of elder care would have lowered the cost of prescription drugs and health care and education they blocked raising the minimum wage and paid family leave. They blocked labor uh, law reforms, and they have not suffered any consequences. And he asked the question I've asked on this program four or five times now, again, speaking to, to, to spinalist Chuck, why does Joe Manchin still hold, I'm quoting Robert Reich, the former labor secretary in the Clinton administration, quote, why does Manchin still hold leadership positions in the Senate? why is Mansions, West Virginia benefiting from the discretionary funds doled out by this administration? And then he points out, and this I think is the absolute truth, and in fact, it's why I wrote The Hidden History of Neoliberalism. He says, the most powerful force in American politics today is anti-establishment fury at a rigged system. The real choice is either Republican authoritarian populism or Democratic progressive populism. The whole middle-of-the-road thing doesn't exist anymore. There are no more Bob Dole's. I mean, it's just they're gone. Mitt Romney tries to pretend he is one. Yeah, I don't know if you caught this the other day. Uh, uh, Liz Cheney was giving a talk to a conservative group and talking about how Democrats want to kill babies even after birth. What? I mean, she literally said that. Yeah, cool. She wants to hold Trump to account. But I'm telling you, the Republican Party has gone nuts. And the Democratic Party has to reach to their populist base and has to stop being in the pockets of big industries and start fighting for Americans. Americans want a fighter. Democrats want a fighter. And we damn well better get one soon or we're going to continue to lose elections. Now, I realize, you know, we've got the House, the Senate and the White House right now by the slimmest of threads. We need to be taking names and kicking ass. I mean, it's just that simple. Franklin Roosevelt here.
3: In all our history, have these forces... Oh, let's
4: start it over again.
3: Never before in all our history have these forces been so united against one candidate as they stand today. They are unanimous in their hate for me, and I welcome their hatred. And the people cheered,
2: and cheered, and cheered,
4: and cheered, and cheered, cheered because people want a fighter. Americans want a fighter. They want somebody who is going to take names and kick ass, who is going to do things. Hate and fear or liberty and prosperity. That's what's going to be on the ballot this fall. Republicans versus Democrats is what's going to be on the agenda in November. So what is the Republican agenda? Well, it's fairly straightforward. They and, and their media, like Fox, tell their voters to fear LGBTQ people who the Texas Republicans last weekend said have, quote, chosen an abnormal lifestyle, end quote. They should fear Republicans are being told they should fear non-white people. They should fear immigrants from anywhere except Europe. They should fear atheists, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, and non-evangelical Christians. They should fear women who want to control their bodies or demand equal rights. They should fear books that talk about racism, sexism, or the true racial history of America. They should fear labor leaders and their unions. They should fear taxes above 3% on billionaires. They should fear free and fair elections where every citizen can participate. They should fear journalists, teachers, and illegal women voters. They should fear laws that might keep assault weapons out of the hands of terrorists. They should fear public schools and unionized school teachers. And they should fear science from pandemics to global warming to electric vehicles. So the Republicans are selling basically hate and fear. Hate these people or fear these people, but that's what you should be doing. That's their message to their voters. The Democrats, on the other hand, are putting forward what I call a freedom agenda, you know, to expand freedom. It's, you know, based on Franklin Roosevelt's famous saying that a hungry man is not a free man. A necessitous man is not a free man. And so the Democrats are promoting nutritious and affordable food, decent housing and a safe place to live, a living wage that can support a family, economic security and retirement in old age, a health care that doesn't bankrupt you. Equal rights, both political and economic, regardless of race, gender, or religion. Debt-free college and trade school. Quality public schools for all children. News and information free of bias or manipulation by algorithms. Universal access to voting for all citizens of voting age. Family planning, health care, including abortion access. A planet that's no longer in danger of climate change. Opportunities to start small businesses without destruction by monopolies and the freedom to live your life without the fear of getting shot. Seems to me like there's a fairly clear contrast here, right? I mean, Republicans have pushed uh, laws to put more guns on the street, to cut workers' ability to unionize, to strip low-income working people of uh, of access to Medicaid, to protect monopolies to shut down programs offering food and housing and to cut taxes on the morbidly rich and to privatize our schools and ship our jobs overseas. Democrats, on the other hand, have brought us Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, free public schools, Pell Grants, and other higher educational support, food and nutrition programs, housing subsidies, the Wagner Act, legalizing unions, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, two GI bills, creating agencies to ensure clean air and water, COVID vaccinations, and support for democracies around the world all issues that Republicans have opposed. How is this not a stark choice? Is Ron DeSantis our next authoritarian nightmare? And for that matter, is he fulfilling the warning that George Washington left us in his farewell message? What got me writing this, as you know, I I typically write these um, from 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock or noon until 5 o'clock, basically 1 to 5 That's my uh, time to write the next day's op-ed, sometimes until six or even seven. But you know, I sat down to write yesterday and boom, in my inbox was this email from Ron DeSantis asking for money. And it was the first one I've ever gotten from him. I thought, oh my. But reading it, I was absolutely shocked. He is using the kind of rhetoric that dictators use, literally calling Democrats enemies. You know, not our opponents, you know, not the other side, not our friends on the other side of the aisle, the way Democrats talk about Republicans, but enemies. And, you know, A, it reminded me of Mussolini. You know, we've been, for a long time in America, we've been thinking, okay, are we going to get our Mussolini? We had bribe-taking Nixon. We had Central American dictator-loving Reagan. We had Gitmo torturing and war Bush, and, of course, Trump. But none of them really got there all the way. Mussolini was a famously short but rather muscular man who who strutted around with his chest all pushed out and his chin jutted forward which is just like DeSantis who's also you know very short and has and is according to Trump is muscle-bound and struts around I mean you watch him walk and it's like holy cow is this Mussolini but I've always been wary of picking on people because of how they look, but this is how he looks. This is how he behaves, I suppose. But also, some recent profiles of DeSantis are really troubling. Both men were socially awkward. Both men craved power. Both men lacked empathy. Both displayed casual cruelty. Both men sucked up to the wealthiest people in the nation. DeSantis is now sucking up to Elon Musk like there's no tomorrow. He even threatened to go after the Twitter board of directors if they wouldn't let Musk take it over. But I think you know it's the language that concerns me most. George Washington warned us about this in his farewell address. You know when he said that the domination of one faction over the other, in which different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. What was he talking about? He said he was talking about the possibility that a literal strongman kind of leader, a, a, a wannabe, uh, you know, an ill Duce could rise in america he said but this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual remember trump saying i alone can fix it well that's you know now we've got to and sooner or later george washington wrote of some prev- the chief of some prevailing faction more able or more fortunate than his competitors turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. So what has it been like? I mean, you know, what, what was it that DeSantis said that got me so flipped out? Well, I just read parts of the letter to you. And as you're listening to this, just ask yourself, have you ever heard any Democrat talking like this? Or for that matter, most Republicans, or at least most Republicans pre-Trump, even the most firebrand of all the Democrats, right? I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders, the, 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 he's famously leftist, right? Doesn't talk about Republicans as enemies. Well, I, let me just read this to you. DeSantis writes to me yesterday, Our country is facing a currently facing a great threat. A new enemy has emerged from the shadows that seeks to destroy and intimidate their way to a transformed state and country. That you and I would hardly recognize threat enemy shadows destroy intimidate really he goes on this enemy is the radical vigilante woke mob that will steamroll anything and anyone in their way their blatant attacks on the American way of life are clear and intensifying stifling dissent public shaming rampant violence and a perverted version of history right the enemy the vigilante the mob the attacks the violence perverted I mean, we're only two sentences now into DeSantis' letter. And then he gets specific. I mean, those are all generalized attacks. Then he goes on to say, a group that will literally tear down monuments and buildings, but perhaps in an even more sinister way, tear down the American spirit itself. So the American spirit is represented by statues of guys who declared treason against the United States of America and killed 700,000 Americans trying to bring down our country? He continues, they go after the family unit, parental rights, traditional moral values, the church, and fact-based education. Over the past few years, we've watched Horrified as this group has attempted attempted to brainwash our children into thinking we live in an evil, racist, irredeemable country. I don't think so. I think, you know, we've been trying to teach the actual history of America. I mean, you can interpret it however you want, Ron and going after the family unit and parental rights and traditional moral values, you know, this is all code. We know what this is code for. Oh, my God, look at those, look at those gay people over there. Look at those lesbians. Look at, look at those trans people. Oh, my God, you know, we can't have... That's what DeSantis is talking about. And this is, this is not healthy stuff. He goes on to say, We listen to them deny science and data to exert political theater. This from the guy who fired the woman who who outed him for lying about his COVID statistics. Remember that? And then he says, all the while trampling over personal liberties enshrined in the Constitution. Say what? He says, we saw them take to the streets for an entire summer like outlaws, burning, looting, and destroying everything in sight while being told they were mostly peaceful and passionate. Well, actually, Harvard University did a really good study on this. They looked at 7,305 events in thousands of towns and cities in all 50 states and DC involving millions of attendees. And what they found was that 97.7% of, in, of events, there were no injuries reported of any sort, 96.3% no property damage. Only 3.7% of the protests involved property damage or vandalism. And in fact, most, many of the, uh, of the instances of violence were provoked by either right-wingers or by police. But in any case, we've got DeSantis out here just, you know, pushing this meme of Democrats and people protesting the murder of unarmed black people by police are somehow trying to destroy this country. This is dangerous stuff. This is the kind of stuff that inspires Trump humpers like the kid out up uh, Highland Park the other day. This is not good. And it concerns me considerably. What about you? Do
3: you think this is a danger to our country? This is the Tom Hartman Program.
5: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall.
0: you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying
5: should be.
4: So are we now inured to this? I was just speaking with a caller from Washington, D.C., and he made the point that residents of Washington, D.C., who have no political power, D.C. has more people in it than the state of Vermont. D.C. has more people in it than the state of Wyoming. There may be other states that D.C. has more people in, uh, but I know for sure are those two. And yet, they have no representation in Congress. Eleanor Holmes Norton is their representative in the House of Representatives. They're one representative. But she cannot vote. She cannot, you know, she can speak, but that's about it. And even her ability to speak is narrowly circumscribed. And there's nobody representing Washington, D.C. in the United States Senate. And so he made the point that we've kind of learned helplessness. Marty Seligman, a psychologist, I believe he's passed away. I might be wrong. Back in the, in the 80s and 90s, he was doing some absolutely brilliant work, some of which has been heavily criticized in the years since because it involved dogs getting shocks. Um, but it, you know, he did this work about learned helplessness, found that you know if you put a dog in a two-compartment bed, two sides, left and right side, and one side and put the dog on the left side and then give it a shock, it will jump to the right side. But if you put it in the left side and give it a shock and restrain it so it can't jump to the right side, after a short while and a certain number of shocks, the dog will just give up and just whimper every time it gets a shock. And then you take away all the restraints and the dog still does that. This is called learned helplessness. And I think this is happening in America. Why aren't we getting the stuff that the majority of us want? The majority of Americans want debt-free college. The majority of Americans want a national health care system. The majority of Americans want Social Security strength. The majority of Americans want a higher minimum wage and the right to unionize. Why aren't we getting those things? Because for 42 years, billionaires and right-wing corporations have been running our politics. And now it's like... We've got this mass death in the United States. We had a million people die of COVID, more than any other country in the world. The New York Times reported that if Donald Trump and the United States government in 2020 had responded to COVID the same way that the Australian government, Scott Morrison's, who was a conservative, he was very much like Trump, Scott Morrison's conservative government in Australia, if we had responded the same way they did, we would have had 900,000 fewer deaths in this country. Let that sink in. We tolerated an additional 900,000 deaths because Donald Trump politicized COVID. And then we've got all these shootings. I mean, we've got an average of 100,000 shootings a year in the United States, 45,000 deaths. And we're just shrugging our shoulders? A guy buys a semi-automatic weapon of war and walks into a supermarket shooting black people? Because he can? Because he's trying to make black people feel like nothing's safe, nowhere? He thinks he's kicking off the next, you know, the race war, the Civil War, the same as Tim McVeigh thought that and, and you know, shooter after shooter has thought that? Have we just, have we learned helplessness here? Have we become inured to it? I'm beginning to think we have, and I, and I think that the, the way to, sh- to shake ourselves out of this. Is to, is to start having successes. One of the things that Sullivan found with his dogs was that when he showed them, you know, picked them up and moved them from the shock side to the non-shock side, oh, I can do that? And they figured out they didn't have to get shocked anymore. Maybe we should be talking about something like this here in the United States. James Comey, who Donald Trump fired and hated, was audited by the IRS with the most invasive type of audit possible, basically a proctological exam. And but Neil McCabe, his number two, who became the replaced him, who Trump also hated, he also got audited with the same kind of exam. It's uh, in the New York Times right now, and it's really worth a read. This is this is pretty grim stuff. Susan, in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Susan. What's on your mind today?
0: Tom, you know, I I really like you, and I really appreciate everything you do, and I've called you several times to tell you what's going on in uh, Gwinnett and Georgia and DeKalb and in Fulton, Mm -hmm. Um, but the time to slow down or reverse that fascist freight train has come and gone. I called you in 15 and 16 and told you how everything was ramping up in Georgia and that Trump was a fascist, and that his supporters were fascists. And you said, no, 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 not quite there, not quite there. And then in 2017, I called you and said that the Bernie stickers and the anti-racist stickers were really triggering the racist in my area at the time at Gwinnett County, Snellville area, that they were actually cornering me in um, Proud Boys with four SUVs, black on black. Um, Couldn't see them, cornered me in, ran me off the highway three times. Um, I had racist white people um, come into my yard and tell me I need to make my black roommate leave or they're coming for me. I had their children come to my children and say, we're going to round up all the Mexicans and take them back to Mexico. You want to play? So when I addressed the parents... Uh no, I call I called the kids. I was like, Get your racist butts out of my yard, and leave my kids alone. Mm-hmm. So when they told their racist parents, their racist parents attacked me in the street at nine o'clock at night when I was walking my shit Tzu. Um, with no street lights, they chased me and um I had a white Trump supporter come into my yard, walked into my yard, told me that, um, He wanted to nuke the front of the Confederate Army where all the black people were, and that that's his biggest regret of U.S. history. I mean, this has been festering, is what I'm saying. The U.S. government, the empire of the U.S. government knows exactly what to do to dismantle white supremacy. And the first thing that they can do to dismantle white supremacy is to tax the mega-wealthy. Number two, reparations. Number three, police reform. Number four, federally legalized cannabis. Number five, Medicare for all, because we are all mentally traumatized by the white supremacy foundation that has been perpetrated and and propagated by the U.S. empire and religion. And we're sick and tired of it.
4: Yeah, I, I, I totally get it, Susan, and can't disagree with you other than other than to say that I've been warning about fascism since the early 2000s the first the first book I wrote about the rise of fascism in the United States was in 2004 in response to the Patriot Act it's called We the People and and I called them out then so I don't I don't know when I told you that there was no fascism in the United States but I you know I I have no recollection of that and it, it is not consistent with my history but but I'm not trying to defend myself here my point is that that this has been, I think, frankly, that this whole thing started with the Reagan revolution. Reagan coming out and saying, greed is good. Um, You know, what do you do when somebody's down? Do you give them a hand? Do you feed them? Do you give them food stamps? No, you kick them, otherwise they won't get up. I mean, that was literally the philosophy of the Reagan revolution. And for 40 years, we have been living with a Republican party that believes that, and a whole bunch of right-wing billionaires who are funding that kind of ideology and promoting it. And that is, in my opinion, dangerous. That is fascist. Terry in Aurora, Colorado. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today?
6: Hi, uh, Tom. How's it going? I uh, sometimes I'm, I'm flipping around the serious channels, and I'll pop on the uh, Patriot Channel just to see what the right wingers are up to. And you uh, know, uh, Hannity's a moron, and Levine's nuts. But I heard this commercial for something called. Like Patriot cell phone or something, and half the commercial just slammed uh, liberal socialists and democratic. I mean, half of it was uh, slams on leftists. Yeah. Which you know, maybe I'm naive, but I thought you know companies wanted to attract as many customers as they could. You know, and no, um, it's called mixed marketing,
4: like Terry. They're 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 uh, using oh, I, tribalism as a as a marketing tool.
6: I, yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, I mean. Uh, you know, I know these guys are brainwashed by the right-wing radio and Fox News and all that, but uh, now we're getting commercials geared to it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we're done. Yeah, you know?
4: it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Terry, thanks. Thanks for sharing that with us. That, that's a good
5: one. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's yeah. up? I'd like to talk about my debate strategy that I've been using on gun nuts that are literally shutting them up. First of all, the reason for the for the violence is this is the last dying gasp of white male power and the women and others who enable them, and they are fighting like hell to, to stop that. I agree. So this, the strategy I've been using is, you know, the United States military has every single weapon known to man, and even they are not allowed to use them. Society determined, we don't want mustard gas. We don't want chemical and biological weapons. And United States police forces, they can't have everything the military has. There are restrictions. And private licensed security guards, they can't have everything the police have. There are restrictions. And in terms of military, there are restrictions up to and including war crimes. So private unlicensed citizens, there are certainly restrictions on them, too. Yeah. Here's what it's come down to, David. I mean, you could say the same thing about
4: cars, you know, we, uh, uh, we license cars and we regulate them and you have to have insurance because they can kill people. Um, why not the same for guns? And then people will say, but this is, uh, this, uh, the Constitution mentions guns and therefore. So what this has come down to is a religious debate. It's that 240 years ago some guys wrote some stuff down and, and there are people, you know, who, who treat that as if it was, as if it was uh, you know, divinely ordained and that the priests of the religion, which is the black-robed guys in the Supreme Court, they have the sole ability, the sole power to understand what the founders meant and to interpret it in the context of modern day life. This is, this is, uh, a, this is religion. Uh, as opposed to law, in in my opinion, the, you know, holding this up and say, well, it it says this, and it, it doesn't even say that. It says, you know, a, re, a well-regulated militia being essential for the security of a free state. That's how it starts well, out, you know. So that's another question I ask them: Which well-regulated militia are you in? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and uh, so what we have here is a religious fervor around an icon. The gun has replaced the cross. The Constitution has replaced the Bible. This is the secular religion of the United States. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash hartman. That's netsuite.com
7: slash hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
4: Bob in Otis, Indiana. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today?
6: My question is, I live here in uh, northwest Indiana, and if I look out my window, there are farm fields on every side of me. And that's the way it is here in pretty much the whole Midwest. And I'm just wondering, uh, what is our government doing, if anything, uh to use our capacity to help with this uh, upcoming uh, grain famine from uh, due to ukraine
4: yeah i you know i don't know bob i haven't seen any any proactive stuff going on um I, if, uh, you know part of me is thinking maybe we should you know I, i've been advocating for some time that we should limit exports of oil uh, as we did up until 2016, from 1973 to 2016, it was illegal to export oil. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if we were to limit exports of grains, that would uh, a) it would you know hurt our farmers, and b) it might produce, it might exacerbate famine in other parts of the world, which I I certainly don't want to be responsible for. So I'm not sure that there's any good policy answers to it, Bob. But he, I think you're absolutely right that you know bad stuff is coming. So, yeah, I, I I just, but I bottom line, I just don't know. Bob, thanks for the call. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind today?
1: Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Um, observations on yesterday's hearing. Um, if Mike Pence had been murdered by the mob or spirited away by Trump loyalists in the Secret Service, constitutionally, could the count have been resumed under the auspices of president pro-tem Charles Grassley of Iowa and if so was he part of the conspiracy and willing to do what Pence was not willing to do
4: yeah in fact the Constitution doesn't say that the vice president shall do this it's that the president of the Senate shall do it now the Constitution also adds uh, elsewhere in article two that the president or, or article one excuse me that the president of the Senate is the vice president but there is a line of secession there. And if the, if the vice president is disabled or dead or not available, then it goes to the president pro tem of the Senate, which is the longest serving member of the Senate. And that's Chuck Grassley, 88-year-old Chuck Grassley. And, and uh, weirdly, on January 5th, the day before January 6th, Chuck Grassley tweeted that he was expecting to open the, ba- open the votes and uh, read them on the following day. Um, so... It looks like maybe Grassley was read in on the plot to kill Pence or at least to spirit him away. Uh, you know, inquiring minds want to know. I don't know the answer to that, but it sure does seem skeezy to me.
1: Yeah, and one more qu- quick point I was puzzled by the fact that in the January 6th phone call that Pence received at the vice presidential residence from Trump in the Oval Office, Trump was speaking openly in a room full of his family and staff, but when Pence took the call, he separated himself from his staff and went into another room. You would have thought that with the seriousness of the situation that he would have put his phone on speaker so that they could all listen to the entire call, take notes, and thus be uh, protecting each other and have common knowledge to testify at a hearing like yesterday's. I mean, that's the right of we the people to know, and you know,
8: we'll
1: never know.
4: Yeah, I'm with you, George. Pence is being characterized as some kind of hero, and yeah, he he had one moment of courage there. But you will recall that was January 6th. On January 7th, when Betsy DeVos went to went to Pence and said we need to invoke the 25th Amendment, he said no, he wouldn't go along with it, and it has to be initiated by the vice president. And right. uh, you know there was a whole bunch of people who quit their jobs on the seventh, um, including Betsy DeVos, and, and you know Pence didn't do anything about that. Uh, it, you know so so I, I and and all the way through the rest of the Trump presidency, Pence could have spoken up when Trump was being impeached, and he could have he, you know he could, he could have put the 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 dagger into Trump. He could have it would have been the final nail in the coffin you know whatever terrible m- metaphor you want to use. But Pence chose not to do any of that. So I, I don't see him as a hero, George. I, you know, I just, I, I don't think that, and, and, I, and I think lionizing him and holding him up as an example of a profile in courage is, is frankly a mistake. Michael in Houston, Texas. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Hey, I'm a
9: first time caller. Thanks for taking my call.
4: Well, thank you, Michael. And thanks for listening to XM. What's up?
9: You know, this is what me and my friends are seeing and talking about here in Houston, voters, been voting all our lives, getting frustrated with the Democratic Party. And we don't start showing strength as they are, because they play in a different game than what we're playing. People say, you know, the, the truth of the matter is nobody don't want to hear it. These people are willing to go to war. They have proven January 6th they are willing to kill. They kill police officers. Until we get strong, until we start fighting fire with fire, we are in trouble. Look how they have did this gerrymandering, which is the biggest problem in our country. The Democrats have been asleep. They can't even get their message right. They are such a frustrating party. One of the things that many people uh, went to Donald Trump for, he showed strength. He was ignorant. Mm-hmm. One of the most amoral person at work. Look, at, look who we have had. We have great people. O- Obama. Biden. And then they appointed a, a guy like Mayor Garland as these are the people we're dealing with as Democrats. This is frustrating to us people out here that want to see some fight. We don't see yeah. it. I don't want to set out because I know the danger of what is about to happen. If we set out this election, we may not be able to vote again. But, but the Democrats, that's how they fear monger with us. But they're weak. God, we need a third party. I Michael, no, we don't need a third party. We need so-
4: we need a Democratic Party that stands up and, and fights back like it did when Franklin Roosevelt was president. And I, I uh, agree with your sentiment. I'd like to make a recording of your call and send it to the White House. Uh, I, I, the problem that I'm seeing, and I think this is very real, is that Democratic leadership, and I'm speaking specifically here about Schumer and the White House and, and Biden, have not yet fully... Realized that the Republican Party is no longer a legitimate American political party, that they, it has been transformed into a neo fascist movement that has no regard for American traditions, that has no regard for the law, that views power as its own end, and that is fueled by massive amounts of money from a very small number of hardcore right wing democracy hating billionaires who who, yes. who are you know live so far above the, the petty concerns of the average American that you know that that they can sit in their ivory towers or, or their mansions and say, Oh yeah, you know, social security is socialism, do away with it and Medicare is a, you know, privatize it and and, and right are, and they're getting right. away with this crap. And I agree and and I'm you know, sorry. yeah, no, I've, I'm agreeing with you, Michael. And, and I think it's time that Democrats need to start taking names and kicking ass. I'm seeing this in some you know corners. I'm you know I'm hearing this from Bernie and Elizabeth Warren and Sheldon Whitehouse and and, and increasingly O
9: C O. That's why they demonize yeah. those types of Democrats. Oh yeah, I can't stand. I can't stand looking at Biden. I'm honest.
4: Yeah, we need we need more uh, AOC. O C. I'm I'm uh, assuming that's who you're talking about. I'm, I'm with you, Michael. I'm with you. Michael, thank you for the call. Ed in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Ed, what's on your mind today?
2: I have a name for the Supreme Court, and I think they most justly deserve it and earned it. And I would no longer call them the Supreme Court. I would call them the corrupt Republican Court. Yeah. And every time you call talk about the Supreme Court, you call it the corrupt su- Republican Court. Because... <laughs> As you well know, and many of your listeners know, but some don't, they started out the corruption with Vallejo, and yeah, well, Buckley versus Vallejo,
4: one? and then um, First National Bank versus Belotti in 76 and 78. You know, your, your, your point about, Ed, about you know, the, the way that we describe the, the court is actually a very, very important one. Um, newspaper, the convention that newspapers have used, and, and of course all, all media, but, you know, it's most obvious with newspapers, um, uh, over the last 70, 80 years, has been to refer to Republican nominees or appoint, appointees to the court as conservatives and Democratic appointees to the court as liberals. Um,
2: right, and and, and I not have conservative.
4: no, I, I have stopped doing that. I no longer Democratic. refer to these guys as conservatives on the court. I refer to them as Republicans on the court because that's what they are. They're acting
2: as partisan politicians. Yes, but they're more than Republicans. Re- they are corrupt, and they, yes. have, they have been bought through corruption of yep. the Supreme Court. Oh, they, they were corruptly put on the court election. in the first place. Yeah, that's how it got started. Yeah. they Vallejo, no more, uh, you can give money. Right. And then more money and more money. And finally, citizens, you can give it all kinds of money. The top and 1% of Americans
4: put up 40% of all the money that was spent on the election of 2020. Top 1% and, of Americans.
2: Well, we have to do what Harry Truman did call it corruption. Yeah, I'm with you. Run on corruption. Don't give them hell Harry. Run on corruption. I'm with you, Ed. They're... I'm with you. I'm
4: absolutely with you. What did Harry Truman say? He said, I don't give them hell. I tell the truth and they think it's hell. <laughs> Francesco in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, what's up? Thank you for being out there. I'm a
8: New York progressive transplanted to DeSantis country. So I found you on a small progressive radio station, and that was a happy day for me.
4: WSLR, and so glad that you're there and that they're there. So, yeah. yeah.
8: too. me too. I just wanted to say, Tom, I'm so frustrated with with the Democrats and the progressive party, to be honest. In 2001, I'm no prophet, but I could see that there was gonna be a probability that a mainstream Republican was probably not going to win the popular vote going forward. It just, it just seemed demographically like that was a good possibility. So I believe you know,
4: if I can, if I could just interrupt you real quickly, this is a, 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 a stat or a reality that needs to be repeated by Democrats over and over and over again. 1988 was the last time a Republican candidate for president of the United States won a majority vote in the United States. 1988, George Herbert Walker Bush. That was the last time a Republican won a presidential election.
8: Exactly. And I called radio stations. I spoke to people. I said, listen, you know, this is not a, a recent problem. This has, has gone back. We could, you know, whether you you don't have to be a heavy prognosticator to see that this was a possibility. It should have been addressed after the 2001 Election in a serious way, but apparently progressives and dem- uh, you know Democrats, they can't see the writing on the wall until it's until it's stuck well. After the
4: 2001 road. election, we had a Republican in the White House. Uh, for the 2000 election, uh, I mean, he was sworn in in January of 2000. But um, yeah, so how yeah. how are the Democrats supposed to supposed to change how uh, elections are done when you've got a Republican uh, president who can veto anything the Democrats do? I, I,
8: Man, but, you know, it could have been a 20-year process. You know, when Roe v. Wade was, was, when the people who were on the other side of that, the conservatives, uh, were told, well, it's it seven more, they didn't give up at that point. No, you're,
4: you know, you're absolutely they, right. Yeah, I don't know if you caught it, but yesterday's uh, daily podcast, it's called The Daily, from The New York Times. They've got a daily podcast. And the, their podcast yesterday, and you'd have to go back and, and find yesterday's, not today's, but their their podcast yesterday uh, was brilliant. I mean, it was a it was a an hour long conversation with the lawyer who basically helped overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, he wrote all these laws in state after state that all went to the Supreme Court. They were all designed to go to the Supreme Court to chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away at Roe and finally succeeded. And and it was a, a an amazing. I mean, I could not stop listening to this thing. It was an amazing insight into uh, a the power of persistence you know there's nothing more powerful on uh, no force more powerful on earth than persistence and and also you know how to get things done like this
8: i i listened to some of that too i was able to listen to some of that and, and that's part of the reason uh you know because when when judge bush decided that he might use the uh, florida legislature that should have set off bells and whistles yep. for For progressives and Democrats saying, hey, you know, maybe this is a a, a slight glimpse into the future. Let us start working if we have the power whenever we get the power, just like the conservatives got the power now with the Supreme Court. You
4: know, I totally get it, Francesco, and and we're here now, and we've got to move forward. But, you know, I, I share your frustration, but, you know, hey, the best we can do is the best we can do right now. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today?
10: Hi. Right. By the way, all those people who call up and are really angry with Biden and Democrats, uh, I'd like for them to understand that in the last um, 34 years, the Democratic uh, presidents have seen um, 43 million jobs created. The Republicans, and, and the Republicans had 16 years, the Democrats had 18. I'm counting Biden as two years. But the Republicans have seen zero jobs created uh, if you're counting per million. They have not seen a million, not even a million jobs created in the last 34 years. Wow. So and the read, Democrats have you created, you
4: up. said, 43 million?
10: 43 million. And wow. the numbers are kind of easy. Bill Clinton saw 23, uh, Obama saw 11, Joe Biden did saw 9. It, it adds up to 43 million. Wow. So, and, it, and the numbers are easy for the Republicans also. Republicans, um, the first Bush saw 2 million, the second Bush saw 1 million, Donald Trump lost three wow they're real easy if, if they're really angry you, you the, need to you
4: need to if, nail those numbers down on a tweet larry so that i can retweet it
10: they but they need to start calling these right-wingers on talk radio and and because that's where the problem is because they're lying every day to the american people and they need to be mad at what the republicans have given us in the last 34 years yeah nothing and um and biden just had a pretty good uh, jobs report yeah and um it's impossible. Yeah, it is impossible for us to be in recession when you're seen that many jobs created. Yep. And and this week is the first time I started hearing some of these people on these these uh, financial programs actually state that uh, they they have been telling a blatant, false, faced lie for the last six months on on that subject matter. And uh, and and when you sit back and look at the fact that I, I told you also that uh, that we saw revenues, or record revenues in in April. That's because the jobs are being created. And guess who's paying all of those taxes? the people who are getting the job. That's right. And so when the revenues are flying off the the, uh, rails like that, also, you don't get a recession. And and so there are a number of things that you can look at to determine whether or not uh, we're in really deep trouble. But uh, one of your callers mentioned that Aramco was now the biggest company in Texas that does oil. In 2019, they produced 13.2 billion uh, barrels of oil a day. In 2020, when Donald Trump asked uh, the Saudis to cut their their output, it dropped down to 12.4. And then, uh, almost to the day that Joe Biden became president, uh, for all of 2021, they dropped it down to 9.1 million barrels a day. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And this is Saudi oil production in the United States. In the United States. When you look at the rest of the world, it appears that the Saudis did not cut the production of oil elsewhere. When, when Donald Trump asked for them to drop it, they dropped it in America. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. So all, all of these and, and, and all you have to do is go and look at the Aramco um, profits that they made. So they went from making uh, I think it was um, something like nineteen or $22 um, billion dollars a year to $39 billion a year. We should Did nationalize biggest... that oil. Uh, pardon? We should nationalize that oil. But they became the biggest company on the planet, and, and they took almost $20 billion from the American people's pockets, and the Republicans are all blaming him on, on him uh, on Biden.
4: Amazing. Larry, you always bring the numbers. Thank you so much. That was brilliant.
7: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
4: Vic in Livonia, Michigan. Hey, Vic. I used to live, Hi. well, actually, my daughter was born in St. Mary's Hospital in Livonia. We lived right next door or down the road in Westland. So uh, oh. nice to hear from you. What's on your mind, Vic?
11: You've talked so many times about the 2000 election involving George Bush and uh, Al Gore. And some of the shenanigans that went on there. Oh, yeah. You know, I was just reading a book. Uh, I just finished a book a little while ago, talking about the 2004 election between John Kerry and George Bush. Yeah, you want to and talk to Mister really, Blackwell
4: in Ohio about that one?
11: Yeah. Well, according to a very detailed
4: uh,
11: presented by uh, the uh, Robert F. Kennedy. And supported you know, by uh, Senator Chris Dodds, there were about 350,000 votes that were lost to John Kerry in the state of Ohio to either uh, people being prevented from you know, voting or, or votes that were cast that were thrown out. And even the iconic pollster Lou Harris was was absolutely chagrined by what went on. Yeah, he saw precincts that had been strongly Democratic in the past. All of a sudden, they just fell apart. And three hundred fifty thousand votes. Uh, if Kerry had won the Ohio, that he would have been in the White House by virtue of the Electoral College. That's now, correct. Granted, he he did lose, but. I'm just thinking that's 2024 and fast forward 20 years to 2024. The Republicans have been at this for a very long time. And yep. I, I don't know, for, as long, for all I know, they could have been at it for, you know, for 40 years, 50, 60 years for all
4: I know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, that that uh, election, I would love to see a good examination of that election, although, I would, you know... It, I,
11: would love to see, I would love to see John Kerry interviewed about that, just yeah. to see what he would say. You know, they, they, they're, they're so silent about these well, things. Well, th-
4: you know, point. a lot of those records are yeah. gone now, and it, it plays into yeah. Trump's whole, you know, elections are rigged thing. But, um, right. you know, I had a lot of questions at the time in the 2004 election. I wrote about it at the and, time.
11: Yeah, just one other thing. John Kerry... Who's Catholic came under the same uh, uh, onerous uh, attacks from the Roman Catholic Church for his stance on abortion that Biden did recently, and yep. just most recently, uh, uh, Pelosi. Pelosi. Yeah. And John Kerry's point was: we live in a country where we have separation of church and state by virtue of the of the Establishment Clause in the Constitution. I
3: personally am pro-life, but I represent a whole lot of people more than just cats. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. When you hear the music, you got to wrap it
4: up. Steve in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today?
6: Lucas Kuntz. he's running for Missouri Senate here in the state of Missouri, 39 years old. He's like your average Missourian, came up with humble beginnings. And now we have um, another Democrat candidate. Her name is Trudy Bush Valentine. Not quite sure if she's a corporate Democrat, but she is a multimillionaire because of her being an heiress to the August Bush family. They're both uh, running against each other. They're both Democrats in the, primary. In the fund. Okay. Right. To, to and, run for the United
4: States Senate against who, Josh Hawley?
6: No, this is to take the uh, retired seat of Matt Blunt. Or oh, Roy, okay. Blunt Roy Blunt, excuse me. Roy Blunt, yeah, okay. Yes. And what I was trying to uh, get at is... Um, you know, we don't need uh, another Kirsten Cinema or Joe Mansion in there. Tell me about it. Um, so, I'm I'm really pushing Missourians to vote for Lucas Kunz. That being said, um, you know, Missourians they uh, routinely uh, reject your hyper conservatism, and I have hope for our state. I I I really believe that our state might might go blue. Yeah. Um and the reason why I say that is because, you know, Medicaid was expanded. Yeah. We had to take our governor to court, but we won. Um, medical marijuana was legalized.
7: Yeah.
6: Labor rights were endorsed as well. And is, the minimum wage was raised. Is, is, your, was is Greitens your
4: governor or your gubernatorial candidate?
6: Yes. He's
4: the the Republican that's going to be running for governor.
6: Right. He's trying to take um, one seat. Yeah. Um, But this was all done at the ballot box. All those issues. Now, all of a sudden, the conservatives in Jefferson City, the capital, are shaking in their boots because now the Missourians want to put abortion to the people. Yep. Which is the ballot box. Yep. So I, I have hope for our state. I really do.
4: You wonder though if those things have deflated the energy because the people have been able to accomplish them, so they just kind of ignore the state house and senate and let the Republicans stay there.
6: Well, uh, oh, the do things like that on the
4: ballot bring out Democrats to
6: vote? Uh, honestly. We have Republicans in this state that want to keep the abortion the way it was. We really do. Sure. Um, They're all over the country, and uh, they, that's the reason why they don't want to bring it up to the ballot box, because they, the Republicans they now know that it will they'll lose the yeah. ballot. Yep, I'm, I'm with you. So well, it's I, gonna have, be a... I have hope. I have hope for this entire you know. that's that's
4: great to hear steve i I have hope for this fall too i I don't think that things are as bleak as as we thought they would be and i I think frankly the supreme court did a big favor to democrats um not a favor to america obviously they kicked us right in the face but we'll be right back stick around
3: you're listening to the tom hartman program call 202-808-9925
4: it's Friday back with more of your calls right after this. It's the Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. Marilyn in Savannah, Georgia. Hey Marilyn.
0: I'm scared to death. I am the co-chair of our local Democratic Party. I'm eighty-three. I've been a Democrat fighting for democratic principles and values my whole life, and I am up against the wall about what to do and I'm hoping that you will produce something that that we can translate into some kind of meaningful action um how do we wake up people
4: yeah well that's that for me Marilyn that's my job I mean that's that's what I do every day is try to wake people up and 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 for the people who are already awake to to give them the tools to communicate you know with people who are not awake and that's why I do this radio and television program, and it's why I I, I write the Hartman Report every day. And and you know, uh, there's a lot of publications around the country that reprint pieces of it. Um, for individuals like yourself, I mean, you know, you're you're inside the Democratic Party, you're working in the Democratic Party. That's really really vital stuff. And the the other things you know to do: talk to your neighbors, engage in social media. Um, uh, uh, engage in your local community. I don't, there, there's no easy answers, Marilyn. This is, this is gonna just take a lot of us, um, you know, getting active.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm trying to figure out how to light the fire. Where do I get the...
4: Yeah, uh, there's, uh,
0: there's, there's not... The, it's just so frustrating. Yeah,
4: if there was a magic answer, we'd already be doing it. it it's, there's not a magic answer. We just, we just have to keep sharing the message with other people um, you know, you, you subscribe to Harbin Report, uh, send those along to all your friends when, they're, when they really resonate with you, um, and, you know, as, as, by way of information, use, I, I, we need a lot more Democrats engaging in social media. It, it appears to me uh, quite visibly that, that uh, several of the big social media companies Um, that their algorithms favor conservatives and Republicans uh, to the detriment of progressives and Democrats, which makes perfect sense. These are multi-billion dollar companies run by, by and large, right-wingers. It shouldn't surprise us. But still, you know, engaging in those places, uh, more Americans get their news now from Facebook than any other source, which is pretty shocking. And, and, you know, if, if you're conservative on Facebook, you can get a couple million followers fairly quickly. If you're progressive, maybe a couple hundred thousand. But, you know, we still need to engage. We need to engage at every level.
3: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful
8: enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island...